Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. How but you did it You made a way Don't know how but you did it You made a way Standing here Not knowing how we'll get through this test But holding on to faith you know best Nothing can catch you by surprise You've got this figured out And you're watching us now when it looks as if we can win Oh, you wrap us in your arms and step in And everything we need you've supplied You've got this in control And now we know that you made a way When our backs were for you this morning. You may, you may. 
Tell him, say, he's been so good to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You made a way when there was no way. No way. Amen, amen. Oh, well, good to see everybody today, amen. It's been a good week. It's going to be a good week. This is uh, the least favorite week of the year for vegetarians, but I'm glad that that is not my calling, amen. <laughs> I plan to eat enough for me and one vegetarian, at least. Well, I want to welcome you today. Um, we're in our sermon series called God's Top Ten, study the Ten Commandments and how they uh, still relate to our lives, and I am... So glad today to be leaving the difficult topics of the last two weeks, murder and adultery, and moving on to the easier subjects of the last three commandments, stealing, lying, and coveting. <laughs> Amen. I, got, I must confess, these are some uh, difficult sermons, uh, to say the least. So today we're on commandment number eight, if you have your Bibles. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. 
you don't have your Bible, you can look up on the screen. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. And it's, this is a good one if, you're, if you want to try to learn how to memorize verses. Here's a good one to start. You must not steal. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We were talking before service. I actually spoke to my wife uh, last night, laying all jokes aside. I said, you know, today's commandment and next week's commandment along with the ones on honor your mother and father, I think are the hardest ones for children to learn. Not to learn what it says, but to actually put in practice what it is. Because I'm going to tell you, kids do not have to be taught how to steal and lie. Amen. It comes pretty naturally to them. But I couldn't think of a catchy title for this sermon, so here's my title. Are you ready? It's profound. Don't steal. Don't steal. Amen. And you may be dismissed. Have a great day in the house of the Lord. That's No, I'm kidding. Okay, now, has anybody, you can raise your hands for this one, but don't raise your hand for the next one. Has anybody ever been stolen from? Just raise your hand. This isn't a trick question. You know what that feels like. You go out to your car. Somebody broke into it. I'll never forget. One time we went, we had a little church event downtown. And then we went over to Bottoms Up Pizza, and uh, when we came out of Bottoms Up Pizza, our van had been broken into, and my wife's purse, which she had left, uh, we thought tucked under the seat, but apparently not sufficiently enough. Her purse had been stolen. You know, the glass is broken, and we call Richmond City Police, and they basically said, uh, sorry, you know, and they wouldn't even send an officer. They were like, we got, I'm paraphrasing, but they literally said, we have more pressing things than somebody breaking into your car and stealing your purse. And then they, to add insult to injury, they said, why did you leave your purse in the car? I was like, yeah, that's what I'm kind of wondering too. But hey, if you feel violated, when we lived in our first apartment over off of Meadowbridge Road, uh, uh, next to Henrico High School, on Pony Farm Drive, that's what it was. I remember we lived in our first apartment. We thought it was a palace. We had no idea how roach-infested it was and how bad it was. And I remember about the second month in, our neighbor above us had their apartment broken into. And just how violated we even felt because I thought, man, this is really close to home. You know, and you just feel violated. Somebody maybe steals your identity and all of a sudden you're getting bills for things you didn't buy and you've got to negotiate and explain all of that. And, you know, if you think about it, stealing is a big issue in our day. And a lot of life includes measures to protect ourselves. We lock our doors on our houses. Most of you probably locked your door when you left. Some of us build fences around our yards. Um, how about in your house? Some of you have handguns or alarm systems or now the big thing is the the doorbell alarm systems. Think about your technology. Any of you have a security code on your phone? Four digits, six digit, fingerprint, face ID. How about your laptop or your, your iPad? You've got security codes on that. Or if you log into a website, they ask you for your username and your password. You want to know why? They're trying to protect your data. We've got personal PIN numbers with our debit cards. Everything that we do is being filmed on security cameras. Now, uh, Officer Newsom can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know it used to be this way. The number one uh, site for crime in Hanover County is the Walmart on 360. And the number one, it really is for real. It's the number one site for crime in Hanover, and the number one crime is theft. That's at the Walmart on 360. Probably most counties, the number one site for crime is a big department store where people like to steal stuff. Now, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Uh, when God made the world, it was very good. It was without sin. And all of this stealing and all of the countermeasures that we have to protect our goods is the result of sin. Now, let me just share a quick definition of stealing because people always like to argue over the semantics. Here it is. It's not complicated. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you without permission or right, especially in secret or by force. Now here's the big idea. If it's not yours and you take it, you've stolen. 
right? Uh, I wish I had uh, God's rules for toddlers because there's a great little thing about toddlers and it's basically, you know, if it's yours, it's mine. If it's mine, it's mine. If I'm not sure whose it is, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. You know, it's just naturally ingrained in us. So what does God have to say about stealing? Eighth commandment's real simple. Not a lot of room to argue over the interpretation. You shall not steal. Now, this is like a legal contract. Uh, it's not like a legal contract because there's not a lot of footnotes, not a lot of qualifiers, not a lot of details, no caveats, no exceptions. Just don't steal. There's a lot of things that we could constitute as stealing today. Embezzling, rigged gambling, break-ins, unjust taxes, burglary, larceny, larceny, shoplifting, extortion, racketeering, not paying your taxes, filing false insurance claims, falsely billing a client or an employer, not paying your employees, taking supplies from work, illegal downloads, identity theft. There's, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, technology has opened all kinds of new opportunities for thievery. Most of the justification for stealing comes from the notion from people that are not very nice that other people exist to serve their wants. Or it's an opportunity for my gain. It also comes from lazy people that would rather take what you have so they don't have to earn it for themselves. Or in modern vernacular, socialists. No, I'm kidding. That's a, that's a political joke. You know. See, some Christians wrestle with the concept of stealing because we try to rationalize the wrong that we're really doing. Is it stealing if it's from a company or the government instead of people? Is it really stealing if they have a lot and they won't notice it if it's gone? Is it really stealing if I plan on giving it back eventually before they notice it or need it? Well, the Hebrew phrase in the Eighth Commandment literally means that we are to not take by stealth or to carry away secretly. In other words, it refers to an action that's kept hidden from the owner or whatever's being taken because they would not, not allow us to do it if they knew about it. So let's talk about some ways that we steal. Now, some of these will be obvious, but some of these might expand your thinking. And if it helps you to not drift into that area, well, mission accomplished for today. So let's, let's tackle the easy one first, the ways that we steal. Let's begin with employers. Let's start with employers. How many of you, by the way, are employers? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to target you or call you out. I know we have a few here. How many of you are self-employed? We have some more here today. Let's talk about employers first of all. Here's what the Bible says to employers. James chapter 5 and verse 4 from the New Living Translation. It says this, For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. Notice it says, Hear their cries, the ones that you have cheated of their pay. See, stealing is not just taking what's not yours. It is also keeping what is not yours. Something that starts in your possession that really belongs to someone else. If you're an employer or you have an employee and you've agreed to pay them a certain wage when they do their job, your job is to pay them and to pay them promptly. Can every employee say amen? Look at Leviticus 19.13, it says, Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. See, they used to get paid every day. And he said, don't make them wait until the next day. Oftentimes, employees, particularly uh, if they're poor or if they're self-employed, sometimes they're, they're in a position of vulnerability, and they can be taken advantage of. And if you're an employer and you don't pay the people who work for you, the Bible says you're stealing. It is their income in your pocket. Amen. That's why when you work a week and they give you a paycheck, uh, you know, you don't have to, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate all you've done for me this week. This is so amazing. I can't, no, you earned it. It's your money. And if you're a Christian employer, you can damage the reputation of Christianity. If you don't follow through with your commitments to your employees. Here's another way employers steal. It's by deceiving customers. Amos chapter 8 verse 5 says this. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over 
uh, and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain and di with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. Notice, dishonest measures, dishonest scales. Apparently this is an age-old problem. It has not changed. It's like going to the mechanic and he gives you a long list of repairs that you really don't need to do. It's when you buy something and a salesman skips all the fine print and then you find out later what you really bought or what the terms really were. Or when you sell a car or a house without disclosing the problems to the person that's buying it. That's dishonest, amen, and it's stealing. But now let's move on. That's pretty easy about employees. Let's talk about employees. How many of you, the rest of us, your employees? Right? Okay. You work for somebody. The Bible also talks to everybody else. The next passage talks about, before I read it, I want to give you the context. It talks about bond servants or slaves. Now, in our culture, there's not an equivalent that's identical, but the closest we get to it is employers and employees. So let's go to Titus chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Amen. It says, try to please your employers. Don't be argumentative. Don't steal. So the big idea is, if your work is your witness as a believer. Amen. If you're a Christian, how you conduct yourselves as an employee really speaks a lot about your faith. Now, some people say, well, I don't know how to be a good witness at work. Well, you don't have to thump the Bible. Being a good workness, uh, witness means doing your work, <laughs> doing it well, doing it with a good attitude, performing well, respecting whatever authority it is that's over you. That's how you get ahead as an employee. That's, by the way, that's how you make more money. And I'm broke, I can't ever get a promotion. Well, be better than the next guy. You'll hear me say this all the time. Show up earlier, stay a little later, work a little harder, have a little better attitude, and eventually the cream always rises to the top. Amen? And if it doesn't, it's time for you to put your cream in another bowl. <laughs> Amen? But be that guy that rises to the top. Look at Colossians 3.23. It says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I cannot tell you how many times when I worked in the secular workforce, I was an electrician and I did construction work for several years before I became the full-time pastor. I cannot tell you how many times I had to remind myself of that. And when I was in a difficult situation that I wasn't happy with, I said, nope, I'm not working for this joker, I'm working for the Lord. So I need to make sure that I pretend I'm working for the Lord. Now, let's talk about one way that employees steal, and it's obvious. Taking stuff that doesn't belong to you, okay? Furniture goes missing. Supplies go missing. Stock goes missing. It is a huge problem. I did some st uh, studies this week on it. They, it's really impossible to calculate the total amount of loss, but they estimate that companies in the United States alone lose $50 billion a year through employee theft. That's a lot of money, folks. And in addition to stealing stuff, there's another way employees can steal. We're guilty of stealing time. Now, don't raise your hands. Because the truth is, we're all guilty of this or have been guilty of this at some point. And that is, how much time do you waste at work? According to a report on salary.com, the average employee wastes a little over two hours a day. Now, that's what salary.com says. That seems a little excessive, excessive to me, but, but maybe not. I don't know. Now, some people might say, well, what's the big deal about wasting a couple of hours a day? That doesn't bother me. Well, it would if it was your company. <laughs> it would if you were the boss. Let, let's look at it this way. Let me make, put it in terms that I think we can all appreciate. Let's say you go to Country Style Donuts after church today. And by the way, that's never a bad thing. Amen? It's never a bad idea. Let's say you go to country style and you say, I would like eight donuts, please. And you buy eight donuts and you pay for eight donuts 
and you go home and you open the box and there's only six. You're going to go back to the bank, baker and you're going to say, well, where's my other two donuts? Well, how would you like it if they said, well, you paid for eight, but you're only going to get six. You know, some of us do that every day on our jobs. Your boss is paying you for eight hours and you're giving him seven. You're giving him six and a half. Giving him six. Giving him five. I'm not feeling very good. You're going to be lucky to get two donuts out of me today. <laughs> and you see, we laugh about it and we joke about it. But if you think about it, it's stealing. Because they're paying us for a full day's work. Now, most of us would not steal intentionally. Amen? Because if you would, you really need to just think about this command. Do not steal. But the problem is we don't think of that as stealing, right? We don't think of wasting time as stealing because we're getting paid for our time and, and uh, we're, we're not thinking about it. But what do you think is the number one way we steal time? Anybody want to shout it out? Talking, what else? Social media, FaceTime, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Googling, reading the news, catching up on your fantasy football, watching videos. We do it. It's a different day. You know another way we steal time? Excessive socializing. I'm just trying to make this command practical for us today. Is that all right? Somebody's trying to work. You're supposed to be working. Rather than working, you go in, you talk to them about all this non-work-related stuff. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Me either. Let's talk for the next 30 minutes. Let's talk for the next hour. Now, let me qualify this. A little bit of socializing, I think, creates a healthy work environment, right? Nobody just wants to go in there and watching the clock, and then you're done, you go home. That's not healthy either. But excessive socializing really is stealing from your employer. And, you know, again, when I did construction, I used to work with a guy, no joke, he actually started smoking just so he could take smoke breaks with his buddies and not have to work as much. I kid you not. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I said, you're going to start smoking just so you can walk to the smoke area and take smoke breaks. And I mean, the guys that smoked on my job, they probably killed close to an hour a day. It takes 10 minutes to walk to the smoking area because I worked in a chemical factory. And if you lit up a cigarette, you might blow the whole place up. And, uh, and he actually, he said, yeah, man, I'm going to start smoking. I, I thought, dude, that is not a good choice. And, you know, today's work environment has totally changed. A lot of people have flexible hours. A lot of people are working at home. So let me just simply say this. Know your workplace. Don't take advantage of it, especially if they're flexible with you. Be thankful, not slothful, right? Ephesians 4.28 says this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, everybody say instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. You know what's really sad? They say that some of the greatest, some of the, the, the most uh, um, impactful criminals in the history of the world are people with masterful minds. Some of these crooks are some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. For them to cook up some of these schemes they come up with, for them to come up with all these ideas and pull it off and not get caught. And you think, why don't you use all that energy for something good? And that's what the Bible says. Stop stealing. Instead, use your hands and your minds for good, hard work. Hey, amen. All right, we talked about employers and employees now. Let's switch. Here's another way we're guilty of stealing. And I won't, I won't stay here long so you can breathe a sigh of relief. Not paying your bills. Psalm 37, 21, look what the Bible says. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. See, a lot of people borrow money with no intention of paying them back. The worst loans are the ones made to friends and relatives and fellow church members. Now, can I, can I just give you a piece of advice? I've said this many, many years. Never loan what you can't afford to lose. And as soon as it leaves your hands... Consider it a gift, and if you get the money back, consider it a bonus. That's the best advice you're going to hear today. Amen? Hey, Lauren, did you find what I was asking for? If you'll bring that to me, please. 
<coughs> you'll make me cough. Consider it a gift. And if you get paid back, consider it a bonus. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves when we're talking about not paying our bills. What is in your bank account that belongs to somebody else? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you never pay your bills, not only are you destroying your credit, you're hurting your witness and you are breaching. And we need to think about this. You are breaching a contract that you have made with whatever vendor you are not paying. Oh, it's a big company. It's a whatever. They don't understand. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Speaking of borrowing, what about stuff, not just money? Oh, I don't ever steal, any, steal anything. Really? Let's go to your shed. <laughs> oh, I borrowed that. Oh, how long ago? Four years ago. That's so-and-so's lawnmower. They've got three. They don't mind. <laughs> That's not long-term borrowing. God's word calls that stealing, right? So pay your bills. Here's another way we steal. Number four, deceiving the government. Romans 13, 6 through 7. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now we all like to joke about paying too many taxes. But did you know this? This might shock you. Did you know that 44.4% of Americans pay zero federal tax? Zero. Now it's by design, by the way. Personal exemptions, zero tax brackets, standard deductions, tax credits. And uh, you know what is aggravating though is that some people, uh, some of the people that complain the most in our society are getting the most benefits from our tax system and our government. So by the way, if tax policy helps you, congratulations. Be thankful, amen? Uh, and also, avoid overpaying your taxes. That's just good stewardship. No reason you should pay more taxes than you should. But don't avoid paying your rightful share of the load. Cheating or lying to the government is stealing. Cheating or lying to receive, ooh, to receive benefits that you're not entitled to. That's stealing. Trying to qualify for things that you're not qualified for. I'm going to try to keep from getting electrocuted since I have a wireless mic. <laughs> there we go. Thank God it's just water. Let's look, let's look at a scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and work <laughs> to earn their own living. Thank you. I love Noah. He doesn't want me to die by way of painful electrocution. Amen. <laughs> now, you know what that scripture is saying? And I think it's really talking to a lot of people in society. And I, I'm not talking about people who can't work, but I'm talking about people who won't work. I remember many years ago, there was a gentleman. We had helped him repeatedly through different jams and circumstances. And he was trying his best to get disability and Make a real long story short, I remember one day I had a conversation with him and he, he, there was a couple of jobs he could have worked and he finally told me, he admitted this, he said, Pastor, he said, to be honest with you, I'd rather live poor than have to go back to work. And I looked at him and I went, and I said this, I said, well, do not ever ask me again for one more dime of help. I said, because there's people out here that they would also rather set on their backside, then have to go to work. And you know what? I never helped them again, ever. Because to me, that's a mindset. And we've got to be willing and able to do everything that we can. Amen? Can the church say amen? If you are able to work, work. And if you can't work, let us take care of you. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. All right. Now, we've talked about stealing as employers and employees, robbing Uncle Sam. Now let me talk about another one. 
fifth way that we steal. You can steal from a friend, you can steal from your job, you can steal from the government. Did you know you can also steal from God? Oh, Lord, I knew he'd do it. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Notice what it says, Malachi 3 and 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yep, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. So give, let me give, take a few moments here to talk about this. The Lord's asking a question here. Will a man rob God? Now I can imagine somebody in here saying, well, of course I would never rob God. That's not our intention. But the Bible says, yet you are robbing me. Well, how? What are we doing? The answer is in tithes and offerings. Look what else he goes on to say about the penalty for robbing him. Malachi chapter 3 verse 9. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. See, the Bible teaches us that you're supposed to give back to God. And he uses two words, tithes and offering. So let me explain this. The word tithe literally means a tenth. Now the Bible calls it first fruits. Now, I try not to make a big deal out of this, but since it's first fruits, I want to just mention, and I'm going to tell you why I leave this up to you. But I believe that the scripture teaches that your first fruits is 10% of your gross and not your net. Now, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to also tell you why I leave that up to you to make that conviction. Because we're supposed to give the first and the best to God. Now, the reason this gross and net thing is so confusing for us is because we live in a day and age that's different than it was back then. And the government has put themselves in the spot ahead of God when it comes to our paychecks. Because they automatically take our taxes out, right? For most of us, the government doesn't ask, they just take it. They don't have to ask, they're the government. They're not stealing, they're taxing. And the government has put themselves in God's position of taking the first fruits. So really, for most of us, the first goes to the government, not to God. So we have to be intentional about correcting that. But the way it worked in the Old Testament was this. You literally gave 10% off of the top back to the Lord. Now some of you say, I, I can't believe God wants... 10%. But the Bible says that everything is God's. And he only asked for us to give 10% back. Now, I don't have time to dig into this today, uh, but I will if I talk about tithing another day. But it, tithing teaches us faith. It teaches us obedience. It teaches us good stewardship. It teaches us faithfulness. And best of all, it puts God's blessings on our finances. Amen? Can all the tithers say Amen. But in addition to the tenth, the tithe, he also mentions another category called offerings. Now, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, this is gleanings for the poor, feasts and festivals and holidays and certain obligations that you would have as, as being one of God's people. And these things would ebb and flow from year to year, so it wasn't like that flat 10% tithe. Now, some theologians estimate that the offerings that they gave ended up being between uh, 15 to 17% on top of the tithe. In other words, they would give between 25 to 27% of their income back in the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, it says our giving should be cheerful and regular and sacrificial according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. Tithing, 10%, it ought to be the floor. Can the church say amen? That's the foundation. That's not the ceiling. Tithing is a good place to start, but certainly through the course of your life, you want it to do better. If God puts money in your hands for you to share and steward and you keep it, the scripture says you're stealing from God. That's what the Bible says. That's one reason why I think that you should tithe as soon as you get paid. Because when money sits in your hands for very long, you feel like you own it all. Dave Ramsey has a great illustration about this in Financial Peace University, so I thought I would demonstrate it. Uh, Quintel, come up here for me. Everybody give Quintel a big hand, amen? Now, I want you just stand right there. Now, Quintel has been working hard all week, and as a reward of that, God who owns everything, and by the way, I don't have real cash. I've got Monopoly money here. 
And it's not because I don't trust him. It's just because I don't have this much cash. So, so here is $1,000 of Monopoly money. And so here's what's amazing. Let's say God gives you 1000 Boom. Now, if you turn right around and he goes, oh, by the way, what you doing, man? And you turn right around and immediately God says, oh, by the way, I need one of those back. There's 10. Give me one back. Now, that's not that hard because it's barely been in your hands. It's barely been in your pocket. It's kind of like, okay, I just got it. I'm going to turn around and give God back his. So that's one way to do it. Now, let's say that God gives you 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then he goes on about his business. He's paying bills. He's grocery shopping. He's buying gas. He's going to Popeye's so he can stand in line for 40 minutes, watch a fist fight, get a piece of chicken. And then, so four or five days later, the Lord comes back and goes, hey, by the way, I need one of those back. Now, Quintel's handing it back, but you know what? It's a lot harder after it's been in your pocket and I bought groceries and I paid the rent, and I paid the car payment, and I paid for some gas, and then I went to the movies, and I went out to eat, and then I, oh yeah, electric bill, phone bill, oh, ah, forgot about that, oh, by the way, don't forget your tithe, oh, See what I mean? It is just a whole lot easier. I'm going to bless you today, brother. You don't even have to pay me back. God bless you. Have a seat. <laughs> it's just a whole lot easier to take it right off the top. You know, it's one of my biggest, I mean this sincerely, one of my biggest joys every week is the day I get paid when I sit down and I still write checks and I sit down and I write my check to Life Church on the day I get paid and I stick it in my little brown envelope and I set it on my desk and on Sunday morning I pick it off of my desk and I fold it in half and I stick it in my left pocket and I wait for them to come down and then I pull it out and I stick it in the bag and I say thank you Jesus but I wrote that check on Thursday when I got paid so I would never miss it. So I'm just trying to help you. If you have a hard time with tithing, I want to challenge you today. Don't wait until January to make your new commitment. When you start your diet, when you start your exercise routine, and you decide you're, start doing it now. Just make a commitment to say, I'm not going to steal from God any longer. Now, you know what the difference is between giving a tithe to God and giving a tax to Uncle Sam? Love. Uncle Sam takes his, God gives us the option to obey or disobey, to choose or not choose. Amen? And the scripture says we're to give our tithe because God loves us and we love him. Can I just tell you this? A lot of Christians don't give. You would be absolutely shocked if you knew how many Christians never give. But here's what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So, let me switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about something else in regard to stealing. Exodus chapter 21, verse 15, the eighth commandment, don't steal. Just a few verses later, Exodus chapter 22 gives us an answer if we've been guilty of stealing of what we should do. Exodus 22, 1 through 4. I want to read it to you and then I want you to tell you about it. Because inevitably there's somebody in here that God is going to speak to on this point. He said, if someone steals an ox or a sheep and then kills or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each ox stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. Don't miss that. Steal one, pay back five. Steal one, pay back four. If, verse two, if a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave to pay for his theft. 
If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. In other words, he's got to give it back and pay double. Now, this passage is describing something that today we would call restitution. Restitution is paying back or making reparations for something that you stole or took from somebody else. In this passage it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, kills it, sells it, keeps it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. I called my former pastor, Jeff Dillon, uh, this week because I wanted to share a story that he told about restitution. Well, all these years I had the story wrong. The story goes like this, true story, he used to tell it and I got his permission to tell it. When he was a teenager, he was dating this girl. How many of you remember the wire hubcaps on the Cadillacs, the nice cars? Man, those things were nice, right? I mean, those wire hubcaps, they had like 80 strands. I mean, they were beautiful. Well, he stole the hubcaps off his girlfriend's dad's car. They broke up sometime later. He held on to them for about three months. Now, here's why I wanted to tell a story. I thought he got convicted and took the hubcaps back and asked for forgiveness. I thought, man, this is a great story. I can't wait to tell it. But he said, no. He told me this couple of days. He said, no, man. He said, I sold those hubcaps back to him. I told him, I said, Jeff, why would I want to tell that story? I said, that's not restitution. I said, you stole them twice. I said, you mean to tell me that man did not know those were his hubcaps? He just laughed. I said, okay, that's not restitution, folks. <laughs> that's thievery at its finest. In the New Testament, uh, Zacchaeus was up in the tree, and here's what he said. He said, he was a tax guy. He said, if I defrauded any man, I'm going to pay him back fourfold. So imagine... If you, right now you stole a dollar, the Old Testament says you'd have to pay back five. Steal a car, pay back five. Well, you know, God forgives all my sins. Yeah, maybe so, but you know what restitution means? Your neighbor might need, need his stuff back. <laughs> and so if you've stolen from someone, I'm going to just throw this out here. I think you ought to make every effort to repay them or to make restitution or at least ask for forgiveness. There's healing that comes in this. The person that they might choose to forgive your debt, they might absolve you from the debt, wouldn't that be great? But they don't have to. <laughs> in fact, they might be in a position where they need what you took from them. So restitution, two questions. Who do you need to repay? What do you need to repay? Maybe you can make it a witnessing opportunity and say, you know what, I'm a Christian now. My pastor just preached about stealing. I'm under conviction, and because I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to do what's right. Will you forgive me for whatever? That's restitution. Now, let me get ready to close today. Four reasons. Praise team, come on up. Four reasons why I should be honest. Are you ready? Real quick, I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to let you go home a little early today. Four reasons I should be honest. You ready? Number one, I am being watched by God. I am being watched by God. People steal because they think they can get away with it. I'll never forget. Rachel, I, where are you at? Raise your hand. I'm looking for you. My cousin Rachel's in the building. There she is. Rachel, I'll never forget when I was a little boy, <coughs> I was with your brother, Bink. He was my cousin. Rachel's my cousin. Bink and I were just little kids, probably around 10, 9 or 10. And Bink always had money. And I was always broke. Well, we went to the grocery store with my dad, and I don't know what we were getting, but we loved cherry lifesavers. So Bing got in line, and he had a couple of packs of cherry lifesavers, and he was going to pay for them. And I asked my dad if he would buy me some, and my dad couldn't get me any lifesavers that day. And so, you know, you would think that was the end of the deal. Well, my dad's still finishing up stuff, and he comes back later, and Bing's got his cherry lifesavers. And I've got cherry lifesavers. And I'll be honest, I can't remember if it was Bink or me, but we came up with this great idea. When Dad comes out, 
tell him we were just standing here on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, two rolls of lifesavers just rolled right in front of me. And I was like, Bing, do you think it's going to work? Yeah, it'll work. So we get back in the truck, and Bing's got his lifesavers, and I just reach in, and I pull some out, and I'm like peeling a couple off. Dad said, hey, where'd you get those? Bink looked at me, and I looked at him. He's like, well, I was just standing on the sidewalk, Dad. And I told him that story, and he was like, Rrr. he said, we're going back to the store right now. And you're going to tell that man that you stole those lifesavers. So he took me back to the store, and I saw him chatting with the guy. He must have told him, put the fear of God in me. And I, I guess my dad paid for the lifesavers, but that man, I mean, he threatened to throw me in the worst prison ever built. And my dad's just standing there going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then I, I mean, I was crying. Lesson learned. Well, for a while, anyway, for that day. I'll never forget a story that my dad told me years later. He didn't admit to it. But he told me, he said, because we were laughing about this story, and he said, well, son, there was one time that I, 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 I stole something, and God got me right on the spot. I said, what happened? He said, I needed a coat. And he said, I went to Green Top, and I was going to buy a coat. He said, but the coat I really wanted that was warm for work, he said, it cost too much. And there was another coat that looked just like it, but it was really junky. He said, so I switched the price tags. And he said, so I went up to the thing and I paid for the coat with the wrong price tag. And he said, and I got ready to walk out the store. And as soon as I opened the door and I was walking out, he said, I was running out real quick. He said, and my watch snagged on the door and ripped my watch off and it fell on the sidewalk and it shattered. And he said, as far as I know, the value of the watch was the difference in the price of the coat. And he said, I've never stolen anything else again. And I remember one time, my dad and I were in the bank, in the drive-thru, and he went and he got his, remember the old days where you would go and you would cash your check at the bank? <laughs> and we were in the drive-thru, and my dad cashed his check, started pulling away, and he started counting the money. And they gave him too much money. And then he went inside, and he told him, he said, there was a mistake made at the drive-thru. And this old cocky manager jumps up and goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir, you already drove away. He said, oh, okay. You gave me, and I'm making up a figure, you gave me $200 more than you were supposed to. I guess I'm going to leave. So he said, oh, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. But you know what? Forty years later, I remember my dad going in there, and folks, we didn't have a lot growing up. I mean, we were paycheck to paycheck, lights turned out, beans and cornbread four nights a week sometimes. I mean, we, we had it tough. But I remember my dad teaching me integrity and that not to steal. I wish I could tell you that I always followed that lead, but I didn't. But know this, I am being watched by God. And if you're a parent, you're also being watched by your children. You can go ahead and play. Give them hope that I'm almost done, Joel. Give them hope. Look at Job 34, 21. It says, for God watches how people live. He sees everything they do. No darkness is thick enough to hide the wicked from his eyes. Wow. That little cloud cover. Nope. God can see right through it. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. And you're also being watched by unbelievers. Number two, I should be honest because I will reap whatever I sow. Write it down. Call it what you want to. What goes around comes around. Karma. Whatever. You will reap what you sow. It is an unbreakable law of the universe. It is the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. The good news is it works for your benefit. 
if you sow the right things and you do the right things. Number three, dishonesty damages my character. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Proverbs 19 and 1. Here's a verse somebody could take home today. Better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. I'd rather be broke and be able to put my head on the pillow at night with integrity. Come on, somebody. Then live life dishonest. And then number four, the fourth reason I choose to live honestly is God will reward honesty. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20 says, The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. I want to close with one last story. I was thinking, are there any examples of how Jesus dealt directly with a thief in the New Testament? There sure is. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's about to die for your sins and for my sins. But he wasn't there by himself. Verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, talking about Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself. Because if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. Oh, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, everybody say the other criminal. He said, man, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. I want you to stand with me all over this house. That story encapsulates so well why Jesus came. He died for sinners just like you and just like me. He died for thieves. He died for adulterers. He died for murderers. Jesus died for all of us. And I want to tell you right now, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad or how scarred your life is, you can change your outcome here today. You have two responses to the Lord. You can turn to Him and mock Him and say, yeah, you're so awesome, just why don't you save yourself and by the way, help us out too. No, no, no. Or you can say, you know what, Lord, I'm guilty. And there's nothing I want more than anything else than to one day be with you in paradise. You know what he'll do? He will forgive you of your sins. I know that there's many of you out here today, you know what it's like to put your faith and your trust in Jesus for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. But there's also others in here that maybe you've never done that. I want to ask you, will you do that today? Like this thief that looked at Jesus and realized that he was the answer. You need to confess Him as Lord of your life. Repent of your sins. Invite Him into your life. Ask Him to baptize you with His Spirit and empower you for a new life. Identify with Him in the waters of baptism by being baptized in His name. Why don't we right now, let's every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I want to thank you, God. Because, Lord, there's been a lot of times in my life where I know I've disappointed you. I know I've let you down. But, Lord, I am so thankful that you gave me another chance.
I'm so thankful, God, that you've forgiven me of my sins. You've forgiven me of all the injustices that I've performed. And I'm thankful, God, that you'll never reject anyone who turns to you. So, God, I pray for the men and the women that are in this room today. Lord, those that are making first-time decisions for you, God, that you would bless them and give them the courage to accept you into their life and to begin that walk. For those today, God, that are repenting of their sins, maybe they're, they're repenting of something that they've done over and over again, God, but we know your grace is new every morning. And every time you hear a sincere prayer, you never turn us away, God. Thank you. God, for those that are believers that have never been filled with your spirit, God, I pray that you would baptize them in the Holy Ghost and in fire. I pray, Lord, for those that have never been baptized, that they would identify with you in the waters of baptism and have those sins washed away in the name of the Lord. That is our prayer. Why don't you right now join hands with somebody next to you and let's begin to pray for one another. God, we thank you. We worship.